Hey, and welcome to Let's Talk CPF, a podcast where we bring conversations on CPF to your ears. Brought to you by the CPF Board, this podcast will answer common questions, offer tips, and feature interviews with industry experts on CPF and financial planning. Thanks for listening and let's get straight into today's episode. Of late, we've seen not only adults but youths and children vying for tickets to famous artists' concerts. With millions or even billions of dollars being spent on marketing to catch the attention of the younger audience, how can parents teach their children to be the next generation of consumers? Hi and welcome to Let's Talk CPF. I'm Lindis, and today we will explore how parents can inculcate money sense in their children, how they can address their children's sense of entitlement, and practical tips on how children can be empowered to be the future money managers. I have Ferris Wee, Master Trainer at the Institute for Financial Literacy here with me. Over the past 10 years, Ferris has conducted over 900 talks and workshops to corporations, tertiary institutions, and the public on topics such as money management, insurance, investing, and retirement planning. Hi Ferris, welcome. Hi Lindis, happy to be here. So just to share a little bit more about the Institute for Financial Literacy, a collaboration between MoneySense and Singapore Polytechnic International. The Institute for Financial Literacy, also known as IFL for short, is the outreach arm of MoneySense, which is Singapore's national financial education program. And its aim is to help Singaporeans manage their money well and make sound financial decisions on their own. So MoneySense, IFL and CPF are close partners in the promotion of financial literacy to Singaporeans. Yes. So Ferris, tell me a little more about yourself. Do you have any kids? I'm a father to two young children, a son and a daughter. My, my son is currently in Premier 1, while my daughter is turning nine months old. Congrats on your second kid, and I do hope she's settled into a routine by now. Yes, but as the listeners can't tell, I'm very sleep-deprived. Oh, that's very natural. <laughs> so, you were previously a financial planner. How did you then stumble into the world of financial coaching? I joined the Institute for Financial Literacy in October 2012. Prior to that, I was a financial planner for over four years. I had an interest in training. It started somewhere in 2011. And from beginning of 2012, a series of interesting things started happening. For example, an ex-colleague approached me to ask me if I'm interested in conducting financial literacy training for schools. A friend was asking me if I would like to join her and her team to Indonesia, Pekanbaru, to train villagers on how to improve their financial literacy as they were looking for a trainer who can teach them about money matters. Then I was also uh, asked to conduct a biblical financial literacy program from the US for a group of participants by a para-church organization. So when this opportunity surfaced, it was like them reading my mind without me telling them my heart's true desire. Wow, I'm sure that those opportunities really solidified your passion and interest in training. Indeed, it was an enriching experience. So after accepting those requests and gaining more exposure in training, my ex-girlfriend, who is now my wife, came across an advert. It was by the Institute for Financial Literacy, recruiting for their pioneering batch of trainers. She encouraged me to apply, and I did. Time really flies, and I have been with them for more than 10 years now. 
That's amazing. So as a master trainer, people expect you to be financially aware and expect you to be in control of your finances. Has this always been the case? Or looking back, were there any mistakes you made with money when you were younger? I was drawn to get-rich-quick schemes and I was clueless about investing. Thankfully, I learned from my mistakes and now I'm more aware of my emotions that affect my financial decisions, such as greed and fear. To share further, there were two incidences that stuck with me. The first is to do your own research and not to follow others blindly. For this case, I was in my teens, probably about 16 or 17 years old, and I remember I told my parents that I wanted to invest in the stock market. This was because I overheard them talking about the profit they made in the stock market with family and friends. And what I did, I put in a couple of thousands of dollars and to a 16, 17-year-old back then, it was a lot of money. Looking back at it now, they were not investing, but rather speculating in penny stocks in the 1990s. They initially made some profit, but when trading of the shares was suspended, they lost quite a bit of their money, which included my savings. It was painful as these were my hard-earned savings from my ang pals and part-time jobs. The moral then was to not be focused only on the upside, but to be aware of the potential downside risks too, and not to follow others blindly, even though they may be your role models. It is important to seek out good financial guidance. That's really true. So what was the second incident? The other incident was due to my own greed which I have seen many others struggle with as well. I'm not sure about you, Lindis, but I struggle with it too. In my polytechnic days, I had friends who introduced network marketing deals to me. I remember using a chunk of my savings and got involved in this scheme because I saw the potential money that could be made. Do you know what happened? My savings went up in smoke. I really regretted it. This was a typical get-rich-quick scheme that used the FOMO, fear of missing out, YOLO, you only live once marketing approach, and I fell for it. These days, I told myself, it's better to adopt the JOMO perspective. Wow, what's JOMO? It's the joy of missing out. I tell myself it's okay to miss out on deals when I'm not familiar with the product or am uncomfortable with the risks involved. Guess we could say these experiences were like hefty tuition fees paid along the way, and these hard knocks have definitely made you wiser. Another great outcome for this is that we can then teach others, including our children, the importance of inculcating good money sense from young so that they don't have to pay these tuition fees again. Yes, I agree. So, Ferris, now that you're a parent yourself, uh, how can parents start teaching their children about money? So, parents can start by using developmentally age-appropriate money sense, something that children can relate to. Personally, my first experience of teaching my son about money and savings was when he was three years old. He has a habit of eating snacks on his way to school. And one day, my wife and I decided to teach him about savings, using his favourite biscuits as an example, since he loved it so much. We told him if he saved some of his biscuits for later, he could have his favourite nuts. In the beginning, he ate everything and didn't leave any biscuits left over. He would then cry and scream as most toddlers do. What we did was to tell him he could have his nuts when he saved his biscuits tomorrow. It was really a struggle with him for two weeks, when suddenly he said, Papa, I want to save my biscuits for my nuts. It was a proud moment for me. So this made me see that to help my son learn, I had to help him connect the dots to the concept of saving. 
In this case, it was teaching without the use of money, but using things that he loves and knows. That's great. So, would you say there is any recommended age that we can start teaching our kids all this? It's always good to start them young. You can start teaching them from as young as a preschooler. The example I gave above, it was a three-year-old, but there are many ways you can engage and introduce money concepts to your child. At the Institute for Financial Literacy, we have an online module, Money Sense for Your Child, where it covers appropriate concepts for different age groups, from preschoolers, primary school, and those in secondary school. So, after introducing the concept of money to children, it's also important that they learn to differentiate between needs and wants, right? Uh, this is an intangible concept. So, how can parents help their kids with that? Essentially, a need is a must-have, while a want is a wish to have. Parents can make use of daily household items to show the difference between a need and a want, such as using toys that they have at home or asking them what are the things they need or want when shopping for groceries in the supermarket. Our children's perspectives on needs and wants may be very different from us. And as parents, we can find out more by discussing with them why the items they have identified is considered a need or a want. Yeah, you're right. Children can certainly have a very different view of what is a need and what is a want. Everything sometimes seems to be a need to them, even though we try to explain to them that these are really wants. So how do you think we can help them further with that? One possible option is to design a simple shopping list with them. You can get them to choose what is a need or a want and begin with simple and obvious examples through comparison. For example, a toy car versus a fruit, a chocolate bar versus a tin of milk powder, potato chips versus vegetables. Once they have made their choices, allow them to experience the natural consequences that comes along with it. Could you explain a bit more to us on what you mean by natural consequences? For instance, when they choose to buy something from the bookshop versus using their allowance for food during recess, they will then realise the trade-offs that comes along with this decision. Buying something that they want from the bookshop will cause them to go hungry as they do not have enough money for food, which is a need. So, this is an experiential way to allow them to experience the natural consequences of their choices. Thanks, that's a really practical way of explaining this. Um, for myself, my kids usually window shop at the school bookshop and sometimes they discuss with me before buying something they need. But I have heard from other parents that sometimes kids will squander their allowance at the bookshop and then not have enough money for recess and then they will borrow from their friends. What are your thoughts on borrowing money from friends at this age? Oh, personally, I'm concerned that this will become a habit. Um, because saving and spending are habits and borrowing is also a habit. So the inability to control our spending usually has to do with instant or impulse gratification. They are unable to control their urges. The habit of borrowing usually has to do with the habit of credit gratification. In short, it's like borrowing your future income, allowance to meet your present desires or wants. If it's a pattern, it is good to understand why are they borrowing. One solution is where tracking their expenses and having a budget will help to identify their spending patterns, which will also help us discover their borrowing patterns. That would certainly be helpful. And I think what's very important is going to the root to understand why they are borrowing. It is really a matter of wanting that kind of instant gratification. 
I'm sure you've also heard about the recent buzz over the sale of concert tickets for popular artists and pop bands. I've seen and heard the lengths that other parents went through to purchase tickets for their children who are fans. Some people may say uh, that children these days are so entitled. They believe that they would be able to get anything that they ask their parents or grandparents for, which includes highly expensive concert tickets. So what are your thoughts on this? Uh, how can parents best address this sense of entitlement? Honestly, this is a difficult question as me being a parent and my wife are also worried about it. I believe most of us who are listening and are parents know that the answer is that we should not give our children everything they want. On the other hand, it's difficult to not succumb to it when they ask for things. This is because of our love for them. So the questions we need to ask ourselves is something I always need to be conscious of too. And that is, by buying them everything they want, are we helping or harming them? That's a really good question. Because by getting everything that they want in future, they will also need to struggle hard to find ways to sustain that lifestyle. What do you think are some practical ways we can address this? Oh, there are three ways. First, practice waiting. Second, practice budgeting. And third, practice having a savings goal. The first, to practice waiting. For instance, my boy loves snacks. And my family has agreed that snacks or treats are meant for the weekends, public holidays and special occasions. This means that my boy has to wait till weekends, public holidays and special occasions to enjoy his snacks. He's learning to be patient, exercising self-control and practicing delayed gratification. Second, practice budgeting. For example, if your child loves watching TV, using the computer or mobile, you can consider implementing screen time tokens. In a nutshell, they are given a screen time budget for the week, which they have the power to decide when they want to use it. This can be used to help them practice budgeting and delayed gratification. Lastly, practice having a savings goal. For example, if your child wants a toy or a concert ticket, help them see that it is their personal goal that they will need to work towards achieving. This means that they will need to plan ahead and save a portion of their allowance to buy something that they desire. And is there a good way to tie that with having kids understand the importance of growing their savings instead of just hiding it under their pillow? Yeah, to be honest, my boy is still young and it's not easy explaining the concept of inflation to him. But what has been successful is that we have introduced the concept of investing to my boy. He's able to understand and willing to try. So how my wife and I do that is that we save his angpao money, gifts from relatives and savings from his allowance. And we ask him how he would feel if he could see his money grow. Of course, he was excited and I gave him two options. One is a product that can potentially earn more money, but it comes with a risk that he may lose money. The other option is guaranteed to grow, but it earns lesser than the first option given that it's risk-free. Do you know what he told me? He says that, no, I don't want to lose any money and prefer something safe. With that, we started him with Singapore Savings Bonds. So a good way to help our kids understand the importance of growing their savings, first of all, is they need to start somewhere. And it's also helpful to involve them in the decision-making process. Wow, now I know of a seven-year-old that has Singapore Savings Bonds. 
And I actually have some friends who do invest their children's monies in SSBs on their behalf, but I think it's invaluable that you actively involved him in the conversation so that he is aware and also personally invested in the process of what happens to his money and understands the whole idea of risk and return. And I guess about inflation, we could take the chance to describe what's going on in the world in an age-appropriate way. Like about how there are wars going on and how these wars disrupt the supply of food. And then we could introduce the concept of scarcity in a simple way by explaining that because there's less food, this leads to higher demand and thus higher prices. But I guess it's really not so simple to explain it in a way that primary school kids can understand. And overall, it's just not easy being a parent these days, especially when it comes to teaching financial literacy. So, Ferris, we're almost at the end of this podcast. Do you have any final pearls of wisdom that you'd like to leave us with? Yes, I have two points. First, as parents, we need to be aware of what we do and how our attitudes influence our children. Skills and knowledge are picked up by them when we teach or talk to them. However, attitudes and habits are picked up by our children simply by watching us. We can teach them how to cross the road when the light is green. But if we jaywalk, what do you think the children will pick up? Wait for the green light or jaywalk? Attitudes are caught and not taught. And lastly, for listeners who have personal questions on money matters, such as how to grow your savings or start investing, or wondering if you are well prepared for retirement, you can sign up for a complimentary, unbiased, one-to-one digital financial health clinics via the Institute for Financial Literacy website. The Digital Financial Health Clinics will guide you to take practical steps to address gaps in your financial planning, to build financial resilience and preparedness for the future. That's a really great opportunity. And I agree with what you said. Uh, Attitudes are caught and not taught. And in life, attitude is also altitude. Thank you, Ferris, for sharing such useful tips and information. You're most welcome. In this episode, we've discussed how parents can help empower their children as future money managers and practical tips to help your children understand money concepts. And with that, we've come to the end of this episode. If you like our content, follow us and give us a 5-star rating on whichever platform you're listening on. I'm Lindis, and you're listening to Let's Talk CPF. Before you go, we would love to hear from you. Email us with your questions or comments at podcast at cpf.gov.sg so we can create better content for you. You can also leave us a review on the platform you're listening from to help others learn about our podcast. For the latest news, visit cpf.gov.sg slash podcast or follow our social media pages. Thank you once again. Until the next time, let's talk CPF. <laughs>